really pleased to uh, have a chat with someone I haven't met before, actually, but I've been highly recommended um, because the, the podcast title is obviously Building New Realities and we're hearing more about metaverse action. So, yeah, delighted to meet Theo Priestley for the first time today. Uh, he is the founder of... I put founder in chief punk, but you're the founder of MetaPunk. Um, I'm adding <laughs> chief punk to that. We'll see where we go go with that. But yeah, really lovely to meet you, Theo. Yeah, you too, Tim. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, so we we were recommended to to speak by a, a mutual friend, Bertie at Virtual Umbrella. Yeah. And then, and obviously, when I looked at your site, it's kind of all orientated around uh, you know MetaPunk and metaverse, and obviously. We'll probably get into the dissection of what that term means to you because it's having a bit of a bit of a moment in the sun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just to sort of find out a bit more about you, just from my own personal understanding as well. What was your background, and sort of how did you get into this this world, and how would you describe the world in which you operate? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've been in the technology industry for about twenty years um, in various guises. I've worked with technology companies. Um, I've done some consulting myself, uh, mainly on go-to-market strategy, um, marketing, communication, storytelling. Um, I've worked with uh, startup accelerators to basically help startups on that journey as well. Uh, go-to-market fit, you know, what are they doing? Why is it, why is it now? Um, get the story right. Um, a lot of the technologies that I've been involved with have been in the sort of uh, B2B enterprise space. So IoT, cloud, AI, um, big data, all those kind of sort of things and, and VR and AR. And, and now it's all just kind of sort of coming together under this big umbrella called metaverse. Um, and, you know, I think for, for anyone listening, you know, but metaverse isn't a new term, you know, it goes all the way back to, um, you know, a, a novel by Neil Stevenson. Um, and if you also cast your mind back to the early sort of 2000s, you know, Second Life, for example, is a, is a prime example of a, of a metaverse that has existed for nearly 20 years now. Um, so we have seen the metaverse in some incarnations. Um, it's only now in the last, I would say, couple of years, it's starting to really sort of take flight um, as a digital extension of our physical reality. And I think I need to sort of make a, a, a call here and say it's not all just about us running around as avatars, you know, jumping around in Fortnite. You know, the, the metaverse also has um, its roots in enterprise simulation, for example. So you could take whatever you do in manufacturing or certainly for um, smart city environments and things like that to actually simulate using real world data in, um, and real time data um, to see what would happen and, and see various scenarios play out. And you could essentially build a, you know, a virtual uh, extension of our world in, you know, in, in, at scale and then simulate what would happen in it. So there's lots and lots of um, different avenues and connotations relating to metaverse that go beyond just the entertainment side. Now, why do you think why do you think metaverse is having a moment in the sun right now? What, what do you think? I mean, it, and it literally feels, well, it feels to me like in the last six months that it's just sort of had a bit of a turbo charge. Yeah. And that could be because of sort of the, you know, the, like the COVID effect, you know, obviously we talk a lot about digital 
transformation, digital living like, mm-hmm. like what we're doing here has just been massively accelerated. But I wonder what your view is on, on why it's having it sort of six months in the, in the sun, whether it's going to last or, you know, quite often with these, with these fads, they sort of come and go. You know, there was a really interesting or tedious debate around whether something was <laughs> MR or XR for a number of years and everyone just seemed to sort of, it just sort of ran out of steam, that argument, because nobody really cared anymore. Uh, but, if, if, but conversely, it feels like metaverse, we're actually growing into the phrase. It's like the phrase has been around a long time. The concept has been around a mm-hmm. long time. You mentioned Snow Crash and I actually had started reading it again on Saturday in the pub. I was like, oh, I haven't read it for... 20 odd years I better dig it out again and I was like I've forgotten the bit that he was a pizza delivery uh you know that's like the whole crux of it is that he's you know the delivery guy um so yeah why is it having the six moments in the sun and is it something we're actually growing into uh, and therefore there'll be a bit of faff around it and then it will die down but it'll still be there yeah I mean uh, so addressing the first bit um I think Facebook's announcements have kind of sort of thrust it into the limelight um, and saying, you know, we're now a metaverse company, and of course, every, and um, everybody's like starting to pay attention. Um, the reality is that you know is that engines like um, Unreal Engine, that's made by Epic Games, you know, Tim Sweeney has been uh, thinking about this as a strategy from day one. To be honest, I mean, everything that he has done so far has kind of slowly moved the company towards the metaverse, and he's been talking about it for a number of years. Um, so like you say, it's been bubbling away. And I think a lot of the uh, technologies and the, the underlying infrastructure is now at a stage of maturity that they can come together and start building properly. Um, and, you know, the level of fidelity and what you can actually do in these virtual environments is starting to become that where, where it's more engaging and more immersive. So you know, like you said, you know, you've had the XR, MR, VR, AR kind of sort of conversations. We're kind of at that stage with the metaverse where everybody is trying to hang their own definition and their own vision on this term. And we're going to go through probably about the same amount of pain as the uh, as the realities industry has, which mm-hmm. is, you know, five, five to ten years of people trying to be the one who coined a particular term you know, five to 10 years of um, vendors basically putting out marketing that is their particular spin on what a metaverse is. And then five to 10 years of trying to understand what the interoperability standards and protocols that we need in place to allow all of these different virtual worlds to interact. Because the, the key thing around this is the metaverse is the big overarching term that encapsulates all these virtual experiences and virtual worlds and things like that um it's not just there will be a facebook metaverse and there will be an epic metaverse it's just this is everything it's the umbrella term and everybody will build their uh, universe within that um but how do we get those universes uh, or whatever you want to call them um to talk to each other um how how can i as a as a user or as a, a inhabitant if you want to call it or a player you know dip into one and then sort of like go, oh, okay, I played around. I'm going to go into the other metaverse now, this other metaverse in the corner here. How can I do that in a seamless fashion that doesn't involve me going, coming out, looking at a web browser, logging in with another set of credentials, picking another avatar, that kind of thing. So I want to be able to, the way you walk through your house, 
I want to be able to walk into different rooms or different metaverse, uh, different virtual worlds in, within this house the same way I walk through a door. That's how easy and seamless it should be and feel. And we're a long way away from that, unfortunately. But the beginnings are there. Um, and we're being teased with, you know, with that just now. Yeah, I think it's an interesting discussion point for, you know, people who have been in the game for a while, because one of the points you touched on there, you know, you hear about, it's about the interoperability. It's about the, and I think the analogy there you used about being able to move between different rooms of your house is a good one. Uh, but I don't, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, because no. if you look at like us going on to, a different website you've always got to log in right people always want to go you're in a slightly better shinier space mm. now <laughs> um i i do think the the barriers to logging in have got a lot easier right with all like the all the you know google and facebook oauth kind of stuff for you to be able to use different profiles mm -hmm. that's almost metaverse like and and of course the face id um on, on apple products has has you know, still sort of delights with its with its ease of use, mm. but but I think there will always be uh, a change when you go from one, or certainly for the next a number of years when you go from one space to the other. So potentially, all this interest around metaverse and what it actually means is that it's more like a sort of min spec, and what it means is when you are in this space, you will be represented as an avatar. You will be, you will have interactive capability. Mm. You will have persistence. You'll be able to pass objects back and forth. You will have a, a, a level of presence within the space. Potentially for the next five years, perhaps, perhaps there's more like metaverse like qualities. Yeah. Yeah. That help us kind of explain what kind of a space it is. Like this is a metaverse space because you can do this rather mm -hmm. than it's a, um, you know, just a mobile app. Although, of course, you know, something we work on at Future Visual is making sure people on any device can be in a metaverse space because we don't want it just to be a barrier uh, around VR. Yeah, interesting. Um, so what was what was sort of the early projects that you worked on that sort of really helped shape your thinking um, around either metaverse or just... Uh, it feels like it's more the... Um, in some ways, it's been the theory of what these spaces could be that's been yeah. your um, professional passion and interest. And is there a project you can mention that really sort of allowed you to sort of up the ante in your exploration of of what embodied or metaverse-like spaces could be like? Um, I don't think there's ever been one particular project. I mean, I got exposure to VR startups working with HTC Vive x their accelerator um and that was really interesting to see what they were doing and in fact there were a couple of people who were uh, a couple of startups who were already thinking about avatars maybe about four or five years ago um and so you could see bursts of i guess inspiration and how people were thinking about tying it together and then you know i've worked with you know on projects where we look at um iot and real-time data um, and for simulation capabilities and being able to do predictive scenarios um, using machine learning. Um, and that's, and again, they are from an enterprise space. That's where you could see, you know, the, the, the kind of sort of inkling of where things could go, not just running simulations, purely just looking at the data, but actually visualizing that at scale 
in a virtual environment. Um, so whether, like I said before, whether it was like a, a machine um, doing digital twins with um, in manufacturing or oil and gas or, or the energy industry um, or smart cities, for example. Um, and, and that, uh, you know, on the B2B space or, or the, you know, people were playing around with simulations for process, pro, you know, business process management using um, 3D uh, uh, virtual worlds and watching the actors actually going around um, what they were doing, kind of programming, you know, little actors to basically carry out these business processes to see, you know, the, the effectiveness of making small changes or room layouts and things like that, how that would affect time timings for actually doing the work so there have been little pockets here and there and of course you've got the video game space which is entrenched in building huge virtual worlds that people interact in and of course a lot of our the 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 metaverse inspiration i think today comes from the video game industry you know in building those worlds and now all we have to do is kind of sort of marry the the video game inspiration with practicalities of using real-time data from the the real world um, and then bringing people into that to see how they how they basically want to live and play i think the, the other th interesting aspect with with the metaverse is this idea of play to earn um or certainly not just play to earn but um the ability to carve a career in this virtual environment where you can actually earn money by doing what you do and this is essentially what has happened in um uh oh lost a train of thought just then um up uh, second well, life that's it. yeah second i was life. gonna and there's a there's kind of a more contemporary example be like rec room yeah yeah but second life has been you know has allowed people to basically um build careers out of that whether it's designing furniture designing clothing and stuff like mm. that and they've, they've made real money out of those things or hosting events and things like that by building virtual environments for events. So, you know, we've seen examples, very early examples of how you can make money. And of course, game streamers like Twitch and things like that are another example um, of cr the creator economy and people making money from that. And now we're seeing people doing this with NFTs. So exploring what an NFT could mean. So whether it's uh, designing virtual um, or digital clothing um, accessories, whether it's selling pieces of artwork that you could eventually hang on your your, your space in the metaverse. You know, these are all exploration and early examples of, of where this is actually going to go. Yeah, which space are you sort of most interested in or excited by uh, in terms of sort of metaverse application? Is it enterprise or consumer? Um, interestingly enough, I think the vast majority of the innovation for the backbone of the inf of the infrastructure for the metaverse will come from the B2B side, from the enterprise side. And that's where companies like NVIDIA are playing with their Omniverse because they, they dub it as the pipeline for the metaverse. And essentially, that's just basically going to be everything you're plumbing. It's going to happen there for all your data and stuff like that. Um, the consumer end is where you will probably see most of the manifestation of the metaverse. So people being able to jump in, interact and things like that. Um, and, and we'll just see a lot of crossover in terms of um, the, the innovation from each type 
seeping into the other to help build it in, in, a, in a more concrete use case. Mm. And, and when you think about this, this technology and the opportunities it can offer, what, what's, what's kind of your personal aspiration for, for the field? You know, would it be, and, and obviously you've nailed your colours fairly early to the, uh, to, you know, to, to, to the metaverse term. Um, yeah, what would be your aspiration in, in the field? And, and it could even be, you know, the pedagogy of meta, metaversians. Um, but yeah, what, 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 what area would you re really like to uh, see develop? I would love to see develop. Um, so, I mean, I think where we are right now, I think in the next sort of five years will be a generate, you know, if you want to start talking about generations as a kickoff, um, there'll be a generation that is born into using the metaverse as a, as a native um, way of interaction. So where we were born in, with web, one, uh, uh, you know, another generation was born into basically, you know, the iPhone, the iPad and swiping and everything else like that and apps mm -hmm. as their native sort of playground. There's going to be a generation that will be born natively to know what the metaverse is and play and then instinctively look back and go, well, that was the web. I don't want to play in the web. I want to mm -hmm. interact in 3D and things like that. Um, I, I would love to see, you know, younger people getting involved really early in this, whether it's as, you know, designers or creators. Um, and they're the ones that are leading the exploration of the space. Um, if you look at... Um, or oh, Benjamin, who was the the young the young guy who is it, cr uh, created a uh, an NFT. Um, what was it called? Was it the whales? Whales. It was the whales. Yeah, it was the whales yeah, series. Yeah, I mean, incredible, you know, isn't it? You know that that's that's where the you know where some of the exciting stuff is happening, where kids are just getting you know learning about it and then creating something, and then going, oh, this is this is great. This this is actually quite easy for. Mm my generation let's do something more with it kind of sort of thing and you know i think all the sort of bursts of creativity and the idea and the really good ideas will come from that generation not from us who are like you know old farts now <laughs> and, and you know and are coming along for the ride and helping sort of build it i think the real sparks of of how that generation will create an economy around what we're doing is is where where, where the real inspiration will come from um and so we need to start thinking about well, how do we how do we take them on that journey? How do we allow them that creativity? What do we need to think about in terms of education? So our education is very rooted in old-fashioned, you know, parrot fashion: learn from a book, mm -hmm. learn from the teacher, blackboard kind of sort of stuff. Um, even in twenty twenty one, and I think the educational sector is is far behind where the technology is leading us. Um, and we need to sort of adapt that, to, you know, that education and, and allow them to explore, um, you know, outside of the education or outside of the curriculum, what it means. Um, I, you know, I would, you know, I'm personally building something which I can't talk about, unfortunately, but um, I am actually building. So um, a project which it has metaverse qualities at this point in time um, and and I think it's it's a really exciting time to get involved in it at the early stages. Um, and I think the more people who want to get involved, I think is the better because once we start building more and more, 
we'll know what works, we'll know what what, what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to get involved in early with those conversations around interoperability and making sure that we don't create more walled gardens with our own efforts kind of thing. We want to be opening up and having those discussions with everyone else. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I mean, obviously with things moving at the pace they currently are, you, you know, you can, you, you can see a logical thread for, you know, digital build lessons or digital build being a part of the curriculum. Mm-hmm. You know, in that particular example with that, that young kid, Benjamin, you know, if you, it's almost like creating a sort of, you know, specialised, specialised school, isn't it? You can see the logic for, well, you know, let's, let's really examine what creating within a, a, a digital only environment I, do, I just just don't mean a bit of, of coding you mm. know I mean the the actual the destiny you know the, the the destination is the place where you, they will also do the building yeah. um, because um, you know I think the, with what you mentioned about the creator economy that that that's that was we didn't really see that coming it's again it's one of those sort of things that sort of incrementally kind of grew mm-hmm. and you look at the creator economy now and some of the economics behind it I mean it's just staggering and these people who are, are just creating really great great careers you know from that from that digital space um but it, it feels like something that's not going to be uh, adopted by the by the mainstream and by that I mean you know the government put together uh, education programs anytime yeah. soon but it's you know it's so easy for people to do this stuff from home um, that it's yeah it's going to be really in- interesting because you will get this kind of fast tracked group of young kids who if they enjoy it and if they want to do it you know I, I, that I think the story behind that kid with his well NFTs he he wasn't jumping on the bandwagon um he, i think he actually had a purpose didn't he? he was trying to raise some he was trying to raise some money for uh i can't remember whether it was uh, animal protection anyway it was something it was something pretty cute and i think part of like you know with the nft bandwagon sort of growing so quickly i think uh something else it highlights or puts the microscope on is looking at your motivations mm. for doing things and I think that's happening perhaps in a quicker or deeper world way. Like we, we, you know, we're always aware that you want to be your your motivations want to be coming from a you know artistic space, or you want to be um, you know having a clear purpose on it rather than just yeah. jumping after the buck or jumping after the latest NFT. So I think it opens up a world of um, you know looking at, at the, the particular moral reasons. Um, for your work and efforts. Yeah, I think for uh, at the moment, the current NFT craze is very much a, 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 a kind of cash in jumping on the bandwagon. Mm. Um, I think when you saw the the initial um, successes of, you know, CryptoPunks and Beeple and things like that, I think everybody thought, I want a slice of that. You know, I'll make some money out of this. Um, and there are some NFT projects where I, I kind of think, or certainly the art projects, where I kind of think it's a bit like um, hot potatoes. You don't want to be the last person holding That's it. That's holding it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or, or it's emperor's, emperor's clothes. Emperor's clothes. But I think once we get past the, the art form, in a sense, mm. um, and we are um, um, in a world where um, 
the NFT has real utility and value across a number of different contexts outside of just art. So if I sell you something that becomes a, an asset that you can use in a virtual environment and you could take that asset and put it in another virtual environment and have use and utility out of it and it gives you some kind of satisfaction from using it as well then that's um you know that's where i think the nft world starts to mature um, yeah, not, at, the, uh, yeah. At, the, at the moment it's just sort of trading card yeah yeah it's uh, yeah, on we're steroids. Not seeing that <laughs> pretty much absolutely crazy i mean I, I, you know one of the the exponents of trading cards i see you know Gary V, uh, which is fair enough. He did trade <laughs> basketball, baseball cards when he was young, allegedly. But I saw him at Christie. You know, he's doing his Christie's drop, and uh, I don't know if you saw the art, the art work. <laughs> no, no, I've, I've, I've avoided those kind of sort of things, like the plague, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, so it feels it feels it sort of shades of Ponzi. Uh, yeah. I mean, in, in some ways, there's there's you can see that there's people who have been doing it for a couple of years, and like, great, fair play to you. You know, you got involved in that space. And you just the, the timing has come at the right moment for you. Um, I think I think Beeple actually is a, is a great example. I did some I commissioned Beeple to do some work like ten years ago, ten or eleven right. years ago, and and you know he was giving everything you know putting all the source code for everything up. And you know when I chatted to him, he's the most lovely, easy going person, a bit like the, the persona you see. Um, so I, I actually thought in terms of sort of karma of motivations that his work going for the amount he did was completely appropriate it's like you know who who else would have been giving their work away for that long yeah yeah he didn't have, he didn't have an ulterior motive to go hey if i give this away i'm gonna you know i'm gonna be able to capitalize it into this persona that's just kind of who he was so so good on him yeah, I mean, in terms of working for clients, how have you seen the the sort of aptitude or the interest in 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 metaverse as a destination? Has it always been around? Uh, it's sort of either innovation led because they've had innovation money or because they're trying to solve a problem, which can be access to um, you know difficult scenarios, um, or has it? been in just trying to sort of keep their organization at you know at the forefront of, of technological developments what, what do you sort of typically see the motivation as yeah i think it's more to do with um innovation and pr um than any kind of sort of real practical use case um, i think the investments are normally led by you know someone you know like a chief innovation officer or, or someone with a, a you know, with a with a budget, uh, they've been given a budget and they've said, try and work out how we fit into this metaverse thing and come up with a concept, a proof of concept, um, and they get funding for that. It's never been a case of we have a concrete use case, especially this early. So it's more exploratory. Um, so at the moment, you're seeing a lot of luxury brands, for example, exploring the space and seeing, you know, how can we get our you know digital fashion, how can we start creating digital fashion that people want to be interested in because this is a new audience that we need to tap into, you know, um, and that kind of makes sense. Um, you're not going to see a bank going into the metaverse and saying, how could we put in a, a digital ATM, mm. <laughs> you know, mm. in a, a, and get a presence here. Um, so it's, so brands, I think are, are either looking to explore from a, let's build a, a, a virtual world 
around our brand and create brand new experiences around that and see what happens, you know, um, like Louis Vuitton did with their little Louis Vuitton world and things like that for the 200th anniversary. Or it's exploring, you know, how, how can we do some marketing and advertising in a completely different environment now? So, you know, we've done, you know, web banners, we've done out of home, you know, this is now a, a new environment that we can create some immersive marketing experiences that lead them leads to a purchase. How do we capture that audience and that sort of market share with this different sort of in this in different space? How can we create an, an immersive ad campaign that isn't just a, you know, a banner advert floating in a 3D environment? You know, we need to build something that's more concrete around that. So brands are looking to sort of create experiences as well. Um, yeah, there, they, there was the launch last week, wasn't there? Selfridges, I think, what's it called? Eco City, Electric City. Hmm. Did you see that one? No, no, I haven't actually, no. Yeah, quite a big splash last week. And it was cool, uh, but, you know, it was all browser-based. Um, but it did, you know, it did make me think, like, okay, is this a Flash campaign uh, 15 years later? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, neon kind of neon environment with um yeah some nice props some yeah. kind of avatars but it, it did remember when the flash came flash campaigns came out you know 15 20 years ago and it was like wow look at that you know the animations were incredible for what you yeah. the bandwidth at the time and uh, you know so part of it felt like that but i think the way you just described it is in you know yeah they're just trying to do a marketing campaign in a sort of new genre you know yeah. because it was you know it was a shiny looking metaversey type space and then there were lots of links for for merch that was probably by a, a a virtual influencer yeah 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 that's an interesting strand what's your thoughts on um virtual influencers virtual let's call them celebs the rise of the virtual celeb the rise of the algorithm driven virtual celeb well, we've seen examples of that already. There are people who are basically using uh, their own kit to generate, um, you know, full motion capture for avatar-based, um, you know, influencers. So, you know, whereas people sit on a Twitch stream and just sort of like, and you're seeing them, people are now basically creating 3D avatars of themselves and using motion capture to do, to actually animate it. Um, and, and that's, that's taking off and and of course you'll have that extension in a in a metaverse context which is not just a 3d avatar that you can just see doing something and, and advertising or whatever or engaging you'll see people actually in the the virtualized environment itself acting the same way so um yeah i mean it's only going to get more and more prolific as people want to switch over you know the, the rise of tiktok and or i should say the the decline of TikTok and, and, and Instagram influencers will naturally move towards this sort of virtualized 3D environment where you can be more engaging with your fan base. Yeah, I mean, it's quite it's quite, quite a Pandora's box, isn't it? And it is sort of aligned with some of those sci-fi books we would have read 20 <laughs> years ago. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, humans are pretty simple in one way. Just like, you know, here's the script and uh and off, off they go and build it yep it's just cycles yeah 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 i i wonder how much of how much of sort of metaverse activity will actually sort of help with with you know with with human happiness or human wellness because a lot of it is 
it's just driving forward, isn't it? It's like drive forward with entertainment, drive forward with stuff to sort of fill mm. our attention with. And, you know, at, at what point will we go, well, yeah, this mess, this metaverse activity is, is increasing uh, wellness. Um, but I suppose, you know, wellness as a sort of indices is not often, uh, you know, rated that highly. Yeah. Um, well, we've seen the negative impacts of, you know, uh, of social media, uh, whether it's uh, misinformation or whether it's depression, um, um, loneliness, uh, isolation. I mean, it's helped people connect, but at the same time, it's also driven people apart. Um, and and the, the metaverse, in a sense, could create um, its own set of problems in terms of that. You know, people will want to isolate themselves and just be and you know be represented as an avatar rather than actually go out and socialize in the, in the real world. Um, or it will create a, a different set of addictive. Um, behaviors mm. so you know obviously we've got the scroll we've got the like button we've got the retweet button you get that hit of dopamine every time you you know you get a little retweet or something someone likes your posts and stuff and so you want to keep posting something similar you know you might want to behave a certain way in the metaverse that gets lots gets you lots of attention and that's your dopamine hit and that creates that addictive behavior where you know you want to continue to act this way because that's what people expect of you and stuff like that so you know, while it allows, I think while the metaverse allows you to express yourself and however, that well, it should, I should say, express, allow you to express yourself in whatever shape or form that you want to be. You know, you don't have to be a human avatar. You could be a cat or a coffee bug or something like that. If that's what, if that's what you want to be represented as, um, or even just like a point of light, don't have to have any physical kind of 3D representation at all. Um, I think... Um, you know, we will be driven to, you know, behave certain ways for the same dopamine effect that we've had just with, you know, with the, the web 2.0 and social media and stuff like that. Point of light. That's a cool avatar. I've never thought of that one. Yeah. Coffee, yeah. coffee mug I get, but yeah, point of light. <laughs> nice. Have you ever tried any of the sort of wellness type uh, apps, you know, like trip or, or any of those? No, no, I've not, but it would be interesting to see how that would translate it up proper immersive environment rather than just an app yeah you know that the trip is a is a vr oh really all oh, right okay it's a vr based one yeah all right cool so we were talking about um well avatars point of light like that and uh, and then yeah if you'd have tried any um sort of vr meditation apps which mm. you said you hadn't yeah there's one out there called trip yeah i mean i think part part of the sort of phenomena with these kind of activities I'm sort of quite a fan of meditation is quite often people go, let's build it in VR, you know, mm. and so, something like meditation, you, you know, you really need to do it in the physical world. Otherwise you're just watching TV and, and listening to, to someone speak. So there's a, there, there, there can be a bit of a rush to, um, you know, try and find a sort of metaverse like solution. Mm. To, to, to so many things what what are your sort of favorite experiences have you do you hang out in places like vr chat or anything like that where, where, where do you yeah, like spend your time I've, yeah i've been in vr chat a couple of times um i to, to be honest i i mostly spend my time in video games mm. <laughs> um i've you know um even though um i 
you know, I enjoy the VR experiences. Uh, it's just I'm more of a gamer um, at the moment than actually just hanging out and socializing. Because again, there's for me, there's still not that kind of draw for the mainstream to want to come in, or they come in and they go, okay, now what? Um, and so you've got, you know, uh, you know, the Roblox experience, you've got the Fortnite experience as well, kind of sort of thing. And they're giving you early hints of what you can do in these kind of sort of environments. But for the average person, um, I think it's really hard for them to sort of understand and be pushed into exploring and doing something that's meaningful for them. Um, I think it's the same with like a lot of sandbox games, unless there is direction and you're constantly fed something to do i think most people sort of like get bored and log off um so there's especially you know it's plus you've got the barrier to entry when you've got uh, you have to wear vr headsets and stuff like that so there is actually a financial barrier from for mainstream adoption which is why i think you know um browser-based um entry is actually quite critical for getting mass mm. um in the mainstream first of all and what do you think will be those kind of tipping points? I mean, interesting, like yourself as a gamer, um, like what kind of games are you into and what would be the sort of tipping point do you think of? Would it be a, a social immersive experience around that game? Or what could you see as, as points of interest that would sort of help usher mm -hmm. people in? I mean, I'm, I, I love um, MMOs and MMORPGs uh, because of the expansiveness of the world and the world building that goes on in there. And there's plenty of things to do, whether it's just like little quests or whether it's lots of nice things to look at. Um, and I think the, a lot of things that will appeal to people is, you know, or are the, you know, the crafting experiences that you can get. So, you know, if you you know, taking the, the pieces of the environment and building something. And that should appeal to people really interested in the creator economy, mm. in a sense, if people are building those experiences with that in mind, where you can take constituent blocks or whatever elements or resources from the world and craft and build and shape things and then sell them on, then I think a player-driven or inhabitant-driven economy is, is a key aspect um, which I think is missing from some of these as well. So if there's a reason for me to make things and I can make money from these things and sell them on, then you're creating economies and industry and, and things like that. And that's and business. And I think that's uh, quite a critical component for, for the metaverse going forward. And obviously Second Life's a good example of that. What are other good examples of sort of uh, in-world creator economies that we, we, we thought, oh, they've really got that right or that's really given people uh, a reason to be in there uh, a reason for enjoyment and there's been a sort of financial upside for them well i mean if you look at roblox for example you know there's been examples of people um building things in roblox and actually selling them on a on a market somewhere um you've got the sandbox as well which is another uh, mm. mmo type um nft driven um game um there's also a, a an older um, traditional MMORPG called Entropia Universe, which not many, many people have heard of, mm -hmm. but they've actually had a player-driven real-world economy in the game for nearly, well, since about 2008, I think, because they registered as a financial entity to allow people to essentially take the money that they make in the game out as fiat. Yeah. yeah. 
you know, and that was before anything to do with cryptocurrency. I mean, it's purely fiat based, but it actually gives you an idea of, of how, I guess, how mature some of these um, ideas already are, but just not widely known. Nice. Um, what kind of, are there any kind of theories that you've come across that particularly resonate with you? Like, I really love uh, Solomon's paradox, which is where it's easier to uh, give someone else advice than to take advice <laughs> yourself. Like it's very easy to go, oh, you need to do that, that and that. But I'm terrible at that. Yeah. Well, every, every human is. You can just see into other people's problems really clearly, but try and apply it to your own and you might just go around in a loop. But anyway, any sort of general theories, uh, either around uh, artificial virtual living or beyond, perhaps to something to do with cooking? <laughs> um, oh, to be honest, that's, you know, I can't really sort of think of anything other than Murphy's Law. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a pretty good one. <laughs> Shit happens. Well, yeah, I, I think that's, um, especially if you're trying to build something um, or get involved um, in, in where the world is going, you know, you either make the right call or, you're, or something bad's going to happen. It's just that there's never that middle grey ground at all. So uh, anything that can, or anything bad that can or will happen, you know. Usually will. Yeah. 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 And, don't, <laughs> and, don't, and don't be offended when it does. <laughs> Pretty much. A bit like your breaks. And, 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 and in terms of sort of books that you've read over the years that have stuck with you, I mean, obviously Snow Crash and probably Neuromancer and, a couple of books like that at, at, at top of anyone's list who works in this field. But what, what are books that you've really enjoyed? Uh, I read a lot of science fiction. and I mean, the, the, my bookshelves, which are hidden away just now, um, are just full of sci-fi. Um, and in fact, I've got um, the old analog pulp science fiction magazines. They're right. a small, small form with yeah. the, the sort of 70s pulp art cover on them. Um, I've got 600 editions of that. Wow. from like the sort of early 50s all the way to 2010s um and and they're just full of fascinating stories um of you know future visions just sci-fi in general that kind of sort of thing one of the books that that has actually stuck with me for a long time was uh, gateway by frederick pohl um, and he also wrote man plus as well um and then there's um you know i am legend by richard matheson and things like that i mean all the old school science mm. fiction i really enjoy reading now i've got a signed copy of um, gateway because it really is such a and, and it's nothing you know i wouldn't even say you know it's not genre defining like snow crash or anything else like that it's just a really good story um and it just stuck with me um and yeah i really enjoyed it so that's one that i would recommend people people have a look at very good and, uh, and obviously in sci-fi there's such a rich particularly the ones you're describing, such a rich genre of artists as well, people mm. doing all the illustrations. Are there any artists that uh, you'd recommend? Yeah, so I, um, so Chris Foss, um, Sid Mead, bless his soul, he's now yeah. departed. Um, uh, Fred Gambino, there's Wayne Hag, there's Colin Price. Um there's a few others who have written, done those kind of sort of illustrations, but I actually got to speak to Sid Mead and Chris Foss during, uh, a couple of years ago for a, a specific project. Um, and those kind of sort of old school artists really kind of sort of appeal to me because um, where you have a lot of techno utopian visions in mm. concept art and everything mm. looks very sterile and stuff, 
their artwork was either very grungy um, and dirty and felt lived in, mm. um, or it was really colorful. And, and I love that kind of period for, for artwork. Yeah, Sid Mead stuff. I mean, pretty pretty iconic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely work. Okay, going slightly off piece now. If you could have a uh, a billboard in the middle of a town, uh, and you could have any words on it, what would those words be? So it's basically a free advertising space for you. Yeah, advertising space for me. I would waste it completely on something stupid. <laughs> um, one, of, uh, you know, one, of the, one of the best phrases I ever heard in a video game was from Half-Life 2, which was uh, from the, the, the G-Man. And it was, um, the right man in the wrong place can make all the difference in the world. So I'd probably <laughs> just spend lots of money just putting that up for no particular yeah, ab reason. Ab abstract craziness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. And if you had 100 million to spend on a social program with no red tape, what would that look like? Oh, there's an interesting one. Um, 100 million. I wonder how far that would actually go. The social. Yeah, um, it would be social housing or it would be somewhere in a sort of sub-Saharan African state where trying to give underprivileged kids access to education or something like that um you know i think homelessness and, and education go kind of, sort of hand in hand mm. just access to better services to allow people to feel better about themselves um mm. and you know and, and to give them the opportunities you know to better themselves as well so those kind of initiatives i think have far more value um yeah because it's a trap isn't it if you don't have those if you don't have housing if you don't have education you don't have self-worth it's pretty uh Pretty difficult space yeah, yeah. to progress from whilst we're all flouncing around talking about what a digital metaverse looks like well that, that's it yeah we're, we're sitting in a very privileged position here yeah, yeah talking about this kind of sort of stuff um and obviously the this recording or whatever will be heard or watched by people in a similar position as us because we've got access to all this gear and mm. and all the right technologies but you know um i think we should be using you know that kind of cash as a, a an opportunity to lift other people as well well thank you very much for your time theo it's been uh, really great to talk to you and Thanks, uh, i know you've had a, a a busy week so yeah thank you for, for fitting us in and uh, it was really great to talk to you on uh, building new realities thanks for having me on pleasure <laughs>